Section 19 of Chesterfield's Letters to His Son Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter 38 London, May 10th, Old Style, 1748 Dear boy, I reckon that this letter will find you just returned from Dresden, where you have made your first court caravan. What inclination for courts this taste of them may have given you I cannot tell. But this I think myself sure of, from your good sense, that in leaving Dresden you have left dissipation too, and have resumed at Leipzig that application which, if you like courts, can alone enable you to make a good figure at them. A mere courtier, without parts or knowledge, is the most frivolous and contemptible of all beings, as, on the other hand, a man of parts and knowledge, who acquires the easy and noble manners of a court, is the most perfect. It is a trite, commonplace observation, that courts are the seats of falsehood and dissimulation. That, like many, I might say most, commonplace observations, is false. Falsehood and dissimulation are certainly to be found at courts, but where are they not to be found? Cottages have them, as well as courts, only with worse manners. A couple of neighboring farmers in a village will contrive and practice as many tricks to overreach each other at the next market, or to supplant each other in the favor of the squire, as any two courtiers can do to supplant each other in the favor of their prince. Whatever poets may write, or fools believe, of rural innocence and truth, and of the perfidy of courts, this is most undoubtedly true, that shepherds and ministers are both men, their nature and passions the same, the modes of them only different. Having mentioned commonplace observations, I will particularly caution you against either using, believing, or approving them. They are the common topics of witlings and coxcombs. Those who have really wit have the utmost contempt for them, and scorn even to laugh at the pert things that those would-be wits say upon such subjects. Religion is one of their favorite topics. It is all priestcraft, and an invention contrived and carried on by priests of all religions, for their own power and profit. From this absurd and false principle flow the commonplace insipid jokes and insults upon the clergy. With these people, every priest of every religion is either a public or a concealed unbeliever, drunkard and whoremaster, whereas I conceive that priests are extremely like other men, and neither the better nor the worse for wearing a gown or a surplice. But if they are different from other people, probably it is rather on the side of religion and morality, or at least decency, from their education and manner of life. Another common topic for false wit, and rather cool raillery, is matrimony. Every man and his wife hate each other cordially, whatever they may pretend, in public to the contrary. The husband certainly wishes his wife at the devil, and the wife certainly cuckolds her husband. Whereas I presume that men and their wives neither love nor hate each other the more, upon account of the form of matrimony which has been said over them. The cohabitation, indeed, which is the consequence of matrimony, makes them either love or hate more, accordingly as they respectively deserve it. But that would be exactly the same between any man and woman who live together without being married. These and many other commonplace reflections upon nations or professions in general, which are at least as often false as true, are the poor refuge of people who have neither wit nor invention of their own, but endeavor to shine in company by second-hand finery. I always put these pert jackanapes out of continence, by looking extremely grave, when they expect that I should laugh at their pleasantries, and by saying, well, and so, as if they had not done, and that the sting were still to come. 
This disconcerts them, as they have no resources in themselves, and have but one set of jokes to live upon. Men of parts are not reduced to these shifts, and have the utmost contempt for them. They find proper subjects enough for either useful or lively conversations. They can be witty without satire or commonplace, and serious without being dull. The frequentation of courts checks this petulancy of manners. The good breeding and circumspection which are necessary, and only to be learned there, correct these pertnesses. I do not doubt but that you are improved in your manners by the short visit which you have made at Dresden, and the other courts, which I intend that you shall be better acquainted with, will gradually smooth you up to the highest polish. In courts, a versatility of genius and softness of manners are absolutely necessary, which some people mistake for abject flattery, and having no opinion of one's own, whereas it is the only decent and genteel manner of maintaining your own opinion, and possibly of bringing other people to it. The manner of doing things is often more important than the things themselves, and the very same thing may become either pleasing or offensive by the matter of saying or doing it. Materium suprabat opus is often said of works of sculpture, where though the materials were valuable, as silver, gold, etc., the workmanship was still more so. This holds true applied to manners, which adorn whatever knowledge or parts people may have, and even make a greater impression upon nine in ten of mankind than the intrinsic value of the materials. On the other hand, remember that what Horace says of good writing is justly applicable to those who would make a fine figure in courts, and distinguish themselves in the shining parts of life. Sapere est principum and fons. A man who, without a good fund of knowledge and parts, adopts a court life, makes the most ridiculous figure imaginable. He is a machine, little superior to the court clock, and, as this points out the hours, he points out the frivolous employment of them. He is, at most, a comment upon the clock, and, according to the hours that it strikes, tells you it is now levy, now dinner, now supper-time, etc. The end which I propose by your education, and which, if you please, I shall certainly attain, is to unite in you all the knowledge of a scholar with the manners of a courtier, and to join what is seldom joined by any of my countrymen, books and the world. They are commonly twenty years old before they have spoken to anybody above their schoolmaster, and the fellows of their college. If they happen to have learning, it is only Greek and Latin, but not one word of modern history or modern languages. Thus prepared they go abroad, as they call it, but in truth they stay at home all that while, for being very awkward, confoundedly ashamed, and not speaking the languages, they go into no foreign company, at least none good, but dine and sup with one another only at the tavern. Such examples I am sure you will not imitate, but even carefully avoid. You will always take care to keep the best company in the place where you are, which is the only use of travelling, and by the way, the pleasures of a gentleman are only to be found in the best company, for that not which low company, most falsely and impudently call pleasure, is only the sensuality of a swine. I ask hard and uninterrupted study from you but one year more. After that, you shall have every day more and more time for your amusements. A few hours each day will then be sufficient for application, and the others cannot be better employed than in the pleasures of good company. Adieu. Letter 39. London, May 31st, Old Style, 1748. Dear boy, I received yesterday your letter of the 16th, New Style, and have, in consequence of it, written this day to Sir Charles Williams, 
to thank him for all the civilities he has shown you. Your first setting out at court has, I find, been very favourable, and his Polish majesty has distinguished you. I hope you receive that mark of distinction with respect and with steadiness, which is the proper behaviour of a man of fashion. People of a low, obscure education cannot stand the rays of greatness. They are frightened out of their wits when kings and great men speak to them. They are awkward, ashamed, and do not know what nor how to answer, whereas les honnêtes gens are not dazzled by superior rank. They know and pay all the respect that is due to it, but they do it without being disconcerted, and can converse just as easily with the king as with any one of his subjects. That is the great advantage of being introduced young into good company, and being used early to converse with one's superiors. How many men have I seen here, who, after having the full benefit of an English education, first at school and then at the university, when they have been presented to the king, did not know whether they stood upon their heads or their heels? If the king spoke to them, they were annihilated, they trembled, endeavoured to put their hands in their pockets and missed them, let their hats fall, and were ashamed to take them up, and, in short, put themselves in every attitude but the right, that is, the easy and natural one. The characteristic of a well-bred man is to converse with his inferiors without insolence, and with his superiors with respect and ease. He talks to kings without concern, he trifles with women of the first condition with familiarity, gaiety, but respect, and converses with his equals, whether he is acquainted with them or not, upon general common topics, that are not, however, quite frivolous, without the least concern of mind or awkwardness of body, neither of which can appear to advantage, but when they are perfectly easy. The tea-things, which Sir Charles Williams has given you, I would have you make a present of to your mamma, and send them to her by Duval when he returns. You owe her not only duty, but likewise great obligations for her care and tenderness, and consequently, cannot take too many opportunities of showing your gratitude. I am impatient to receive your account of Dresden, and likewise your answers to the many questions that I asked you. Adieu for this time, and God bless. End of section 19. Read by Professor Heather and By. For more free audiobooks, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.